St. James. This is Night Fever, New York nightlife legends of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. I am joined by my co-hosts, the co-founders of World of Wonder, Fenton Bailey and Randy Barbado. You both look fantastic. How are you feeling? Great. I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> uh, well, you sound very sexy, Fenton. Um, Thank you. Uh, I'm very excited today because our guest, they said she wouldn't do it. Everybody told me she was not going to do it, but I got her by God. She has been a friend of mine for 29 years which is weird because I still think of you as 16. So I, I don't know how that works. Uh, you are a club kid icon. You are, are a model, a muse, a former it girl, former queen of Manhattan. You are currently the co-executive director of the Lower East Side Girls Club in New York. Uh, and you are the mother of two wonderful, adorable children. How do you do it all? Welcome to the show, Jenny Dembrow, a.k.a. Genitalia. <sighs> it's so good to see you. It's so good to see you, James. It feels like just like yesterday that we were speaking. And we were, <laughs> yeah. um, it, it must have been at least 10 years, but it feels like yesterday. Um, full disclosure, we did talk yesterday. I'm going to head Fenton off at the pass here because I know where he wants to go. I would like for you to start off by reading your uh, Christmas 2020 Instagram post about the death of Michael Eilig and the legacy of the club kids, because I think that's a good place to jump off from. I did this post um, after quite a few days uh, after Michael's death, just kind of as I came to grips with, you know, what had happened and looking back on our history. And I'll just read it. Uh, Thank you to all that have reached out. In my heart, I said goodbye to Michael a long time ago. I first met him when I was 14 or 15 years old. He not only welcomed me into his merry band of revelers, but eventually elevated me to be their queen, queen of Manhattan, that is. For those of you who remember, that was one of his many uh, fantastical and naughty contests. I had to say that because someone called me out and saying, how could you say you're the queen of Manhattan? Suzanne Parsh is the real queen of Manhattan. I was like, maybe you don't actually know anything about New York nightlife. But anyway, I mean, no, no, not about Suzanne, just that I was at, anyway, sorry. Let me go back and start again. No, 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 you're yeah. fine. We, we, we can edit, don't worry. Thank you. Um, uh, so... Uh, His childlike spirit and mischievous nature was intoxicating. We became inseparable and our love transcended gender and sexuality. He created an alternate universe where being gay was celebrated and revered instead of beaten out of you. Where the outcasts and misfits were the insiders. We were the creatures of the night, walking pieces of art who used shock and awe to garner fame and drink tickets. Soon, though, the highest of the highs turned into the lowest of the lows. The Michael that I loved died the day that Angel was murdered. Walt and I spoke right after we heard the news on Christmas Day. After reminiscing and processing, we said goodbye, love you, and then I burst into tears. The greatest gift from Michael was connecting me to my extraordinary chosen family. And that is the love that lasts forever. End scene. That is is so beautiful. It's really profound. Yes. It, it really is beautiful. I felt in the wake of Michael's death, there was so little empathy. And uh, I, I think Ernie spoke about it very eloquently, but there was so much toxicity um, that was just a hard thing to process. And that is, it, you, you put it into perspective where I think we all sort of said goodbye to Michael a long time ago because we saw the path that he was going down and he wouldn't do anything to stop it. And you either are part of the parade or part of the pavement with Michael and you can't you can't let yourself be the, the pavement, you know. Um, let's go back to when you first met Michael. Well, I, I remember I first, I think, snuck out and and went to Mars uh, and then, so that was my first club experience, um, which, you know, I, I remember, I think I had like a cocktail and tried to smoke a cigarette and, and immediately like felt ill. Do you remember who you were with? Th- this was like 
high school friends. So it was okay, no okay. one, no one fabulous yet. Um, or, or they mm-hmm. were all wonderful, but it was just like a, a crew of, you know, teenagers. Carlin and I went to the building and we were rejected by Kenny Kenny. And then <laughs> we uh, went to Pat Fields, redid ourselves and came back for a second try. And, and he opened the Golden Gates and we went to the building and we went upstairs to that VIP room and I saw Pebbles and I saw Christopher Comp and I and Sacred and 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 Michael and I just um felt at home. It was an otherworldly experience. I mean, I just felt like I had like found my tribe. I had found an instant connection. Uh, Instantly, like whatever this world I just entered, I never want to leave it. These are my people. And how do I, who who are they? Who are these creatures of the night? Who are these spectacular beings? And just, uh, it was really in awe. And at that point, I believe I was maybe 15. And so, um, Michael was friends with a girl named Nicole. I don't know if you remember Nicole. She kind of looked like a little ravery. Um, so she introduced me and we just really hit it off the bat. And then I think it was for my 16th birthday, they did something for Carlin. Carlin and I are one day apart uh, on our birthdays. Carlin is a, um, a club kid model. model. She was in a lot of, you know, club kid, beautiful, beautiful girl, one of your best friends. Yes. And uh, just a stunning, stunning club kid supermodel. Yes. And I basically, she, uh, I would stay over at her house all the time um, and we would sneak out. So it was, it was, it worked perfectly. We loved each other. Um, we were obsessed with nightlife and, um, and I would say to her house. And, and I remember at one point, my mother said, are you lesbians? So she was like, God, you're sleeping <laughs> over there an awful lot. Um, and I was like, no, we're gay dudes. Because <laughs> you were born uh, in Manhattan, yeah. right? And you uh, have this wonderful, wonderful family, your mother, Mama Lou, Mama and your Lou. dad. Just- Mama Gina. I started hanging out with Michael Moore. Um, we became fast friends and we just kind of entered this world of nightlife. And then I, to get out of my parents' house, I, you know, graduated school a year early, moved out and Carlin and I moved out together. And um, then that was, it was on. I mean, we were just party girls every night and going to, you know, every party that we could and just kind of enjoying being around our amazing friends. Well, now Walt says that he was the one who discovered you before Michael and he he wanted to make you his star. Yes. And so that was when I met. uh, So again, just to put it all into context is first of all, I'm 45. And also there's a lot of blurry memories for me. So I can't, Uh I can't actually remember. I remember the first time Carlin and I entered the building. I don't know if we actually met Michael that night. Um, but we did see all of these people who obviously had no idea who we were. I think Lady Miss Keir was there. I loved the building. The building is one of my favorite spaces in New York. It was so magical. It was an old um, power and electric building, right? Yeah, it was was just, it was such an incredible space and that kind of like- Raw, industrial, yeah. And that glass cube that was basically the VIP area was just, you know, you could look out amongst the crowd and then just like be in this kind of womb where all the interesting things were happening. So, um, so yeah. And then when I met, Carlin and I met Desi and Walt and they kind of took us under their wing uh, were like our mothers, our fathers, our brothers, our sisters, and helped us. Because, you know, in the beginning when I was going out, I remember I took like, you know, tape cassettes, um, the stickers from them, I folded it in half and like made eyebrows. I mean, I looked ridiculous. At one point I had like a <laughs> colander on my head. It was, it was <laughs> I was, you know, I, I think about Walt, the <laughs> unbelievable looks that he created. And, and, and again, he's such a brilliant artist and how he could paint his face. I, I was like sticking tape on my face, like Pee Wee Herman. It was, I it was, really want to do a photo shoot now with tape and a colander hat. Yeah, I mean, it was, um, I, you know, <laughs> I, I really tried. I just, uh, yeah, anyway. 
Well, you know, the first time we met was on the set of um, the Phil Donahue show. Yes, right. When I was 16, yeah. You were introduced as a 16-year-old club kid, and but you were wearing like a patent leather gimp mask. Yes. I borrowed that from John Boy because I needed to obviously be incognito because my parents, at that point, my parents did not know anything. I was just like, I mean, they just thought. So you're on national TV, but you don't want your parents to know that you go out. (laughs) Right. I mean, at that point, I was always already bald. I looked totally weird anyway. And just, I just, yeah. So it was all, it was really just to kind of hide, you know, my actual identity. And I remember um, it was with, you know, uh, Chloe and Chanel. I switched shoes with Chanel because I had those white boots with these spikes that Moschino recreated, by the way. Um, And I knew, I was like, if my mother sees these boots, (laughs) I was like, so I was like, give me your shoes. So we swapped shoes and uh, I was, you know, in a, in a gimp mask. And I do want to say though, that um, one of the highlights of the Phil Donahue show, when the audience started turning against us was when um, Phil said to you, um, Jenny, are you drug free? And Michael said, yes, all of Jenny's drugs are for free. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and the audience started booing. And from that moment on, we lost everybody. Yeah. At that point, I'm, I'm surprised they didn't run up to the stage and beat us with clubs. The um, director came backstage afterwards and said it was the first time in the 30-year history of Phil Donahue that he did not go backstage and thank everybody for coming. He hated us that much. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, and your mom, you you weren't busted. At what point did you get busted? Well, um, uh, at, at the point where I think my mother just, re- I mean, my mother was a party girl. My mother was running the streets of the Lower East Side. My mother has, I mean, her stories are more wild than my stories. So, I think it, we just had a come to Jesus moment. She was just like, I, you know, we're, I kind of know what's going on here. And so, um, you know, when, when I did move out, my parents would actually come out with me. And I remember my mom being on, do you remember in the back of tunnel, they did a lady bunny did the, um, did a game show and it was oh, yeah. a theme. And my mother you know, was one of the contestants and my mother won and Lady Bunny said, oh, what are you going to do with the prize money? And my mom said, give it to my daughter, Genitalia. And of course, (laughs) Lady Bunny said, oh, she'll just stick it all up her nose. And I was like, oh, Oh, I hate when they do that. Were you like a rebel growing up as a kid? Like, it sounds like your mom was very avant-garde herself. I mean, I was surrounded by artists and, and amazing people. My mother actually um, worked with one of her friends. There was, um, I think it was Pier 30. Uh, now I'm going to forget which pier it was. Um, David Wojnarowicz, um, He, the pier that he, um, you know, had artists and, and they kind of just took it over. My mother did a whole project with her friend there and created Andy Warhol in a casket and had a uh, an IV of, of Campbell's soup. So, I mean, that gives you a little context of who my mother is. I mean, John Cale had come over to our house. My father um, is like best friends with Richard Lewis, who's Larry, Larry David used to come over for dinner. We have a, we have an interesting history in our family. And so I, I don't think, you know, it wasn't too far out for her to realize that their daughter was going to be a little out there as well. And so they always, you know, I think for, for them, it was more care and concern over my safety and my well-being. Um, but mm. of course, um, and they loved all my friends. I mean, they would come over, you know, my parents would go out um, and, you know, they really kind of saw us as this family. Um, so they, so they were very supportive. I mean, of course there was some worry because, you know, as you kind of go down the spiral, no one wants their child to die. So in the the beginning, though, things were were really good and really fun. And you were a big star at the Tunnel and Limelight, Disco 2000 and USA. What are some of your memories of that? And what other clubs did you go to? 
Um, I, you know, I have so many incredible memories. I mean, I think, you know, Disco 2000, all of us just kind of, you know, merrily running through the club and uh, running through the straights in the main room. And, uh, you know, the, I, I definitely, I think the transcendent experience of dance and dancing with a group of people and just kind of, again, in this church, which was really like a religious experience. I mean, and then if you add any substance substances to it, it just really kind of like literally you're like levitating at that point. And so um, I, I think that kind of collective energy and the, the incredible music of that time just kind of pulsating through your blood, it was really primal. Um, and then, you know, you add the lights to it. So um, it, it was just felt like such a release and then you know each room just had its own kind of magical little theme and uh different music going on and just to be able to kind of bounce through and um and have have a completely different experience in each space um and then you know when you get to something like club usa where you know then it was like this celebrity thing and this kind of just really elevated style who were some of the celebrities that you remember meeting there? Well, I mean, I kind of went a little bit later, like Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, I feel like Marky Mark was around. Well, he also dated Jen Gation at some point. Um, Marky did? I believe so. That's interesting. Yeah. I remember pictures of you with like Nina Hagen and Bjork though, right? Yes, that was at the tunnel and that was like a New Year show. And she signed my head in Arabic. And the why I never got that tattooed right after she did it, it's beyond me. But I was just like, wow, Nina Hagen is signing my head in Arabic. I mean, you know, to, <laughs> it was it, it was such a every night was such a wild experience. It was just like, I mean, whether it was Nina Hagen or just some weird raver boy that you went down the rabbit hole, it was such a I mean, it, it was a, it, it, I felt like you could choose your own adventure. And so that was the excitement of it. And again, because we had each other. Um, you know, gallivanting through the city and just kind of, you know, bopping around to places. And then until you finally made it to save the robots, it was like, you know, whoa, and then time to do it all over again. I think, well, we need to do a whole show on save the robot stories. You definitely do. You definitely do. Jenny, I'm going to really put you on the spot right now because you were in a very successful EDM band and you toured the world and you had number one hits. What was the name of that band? You know, James, I have no memory of this. She has no memory of being in this band. Could you even tell me who was in the band with you? Well, no, but you told me, so maybe I remember. I mean, I, I honestly... David Alphabet and Carlin. And honestly, I have no, I do remember recording something with Larry T, but maybe, but that doesn't sound like the same band. How many bands was I in? <laughs> but you, I know you performed at uh, USA, I think. You know what? Probably. I, I mean, you, you didn't tour the world and you didn't have number one. I'm making that part up. But you were in a band that you have no recollection of. And I think that is so funny. I'm probably your worst interview because I honestly remember very little. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I apologize if you want me to go, you know, back into the recesses of, of my cobwebbed brain. But there, you know, I, uh, unlike Walt, who meticulously kind of, you know, went through and was able to kind of put these incredible stories out and really, you know, it just creates such a beautiful book. I can't even remember I was in a band. <laughs> um, uh, I know one thing you can remember, though, and that is the Calvin Klein ad with Stephen Mizell. Can you walk us through that a little bit? Because that was a, a high point for the club kids, boy. Yeah. Well, when I was 16, I worked at Pat Fields and, um, and I met Pat's dear friend, um, Michelle, and, oh my God, wait a minute, you guys, hold on. I have got to, Michelle Saunders. Um, so Michelle was this gorgeous, glorious French woman who 
she she was uh, she danced at Paradise Garage. She was a Paradise Garage girl, and um, and so she was also a modeling agent. And she found me behind the counter, and she said I should model. And so that is kind of how it started for me. And and I um, but so she booked me in Gautier. So oh. I did the Gautier show. Well, wait, okay, because we're going to have to come back to that because there's a lot to talk about in Paris. Oh, yeah. Like, we're, we almost oh, yeah. get out of Paris. We were, th- we were, we were, there were torches in pitchforks. Yes, yes. It, that's like a common theme, whether it's Donahue or the Parisians. Like, we're, <laughs> we're trying to be run out of town. Um, so, so basically what happened was Stephen Mizell saw me in the Gautier show and I got a call when I got back that he wanted me for the campaign. So that's how the Calvin Klein ad happened. People remember, or I'm sure you can Google it. It's the one, it's the black and white with all the different punks and the different. Uh, it's uh, actually not that one. It's really strange. There, there was the CKB that was the group of a lot, a lot of different people. This was the one before where it was me. It was full, full page. Single. Uh, okay. Me, Kate Moss, and two guys. I don't remember who the guys were. And so I remember someone calling me and say, have you seen Vogue? Because when I went and did this photo shoot, it was a bunch of models. We had no idea what they, they had us in all different iterations. And I had no idea what it was going to come out like. And then someone said, um, have you seen Vogue? And I said, no. And they said, you're on a full page in Vogue. <laughs> with Kate, like next to Kate, you know, with Kate Moss on the second page or whatever. So that's how that happened. And I do remember, again, I think another one of Lady Bunny's things with when she asked my mother, I think when my mom was on the game show, she said, you know, oh, like, how do you feel when you've seen your daughter on the sides of buses? She said, it's my dream that someday I'm going to get hit with a bus by my with my daughter's face on it. <laughs> it's quite morbid. So I'm not, you know, anyway. Oh, there it is. There, there you are. Gorgeous. You know, that was on my refrigerator for about 15 years, I think. I love that picture so much. Let's um let's go back to Paris though. Let, let, let's do that. I would like to go back to Paris with you, James. Please. <laughs> yes, let, let's 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 go through that nightmare again because it was the club kids take over Paris was was the idea. And Michael couldn't go because he didn't have a passport or something like that. So he wasn't with us. But uh, Walt was there, Richie, Rich, Sushi, me, you. Yeah. And Jeffrey Jaw. Yes, and Jeffrey Jaw. Was Carlin there? Who? Maybe Carlin was there, too. Um, So I remember, what I remember is I was, first of all, I was wearing that pizza outfit and everybody hated me for it. I had this giant slice of pizza and I was barefoot because I was going through this barefoot phase. Yeah. And everywhere I went, there was glass on the floor and my feet were cut to ribbons and I was bleeding all over everybody every everywhere we went. And then I remember that we couldn't find any drugs. So we went to a sex shop and got poppers. And this is important to the story <laughs> because that night there was page six through a dinner party for us. And yes. we were seated at a long table at Le Bandouche, right? And yes. Madonna's there and Suzanne is there. And Richard Johnson is across from us. And Gloria Gaynor of I Will Survive disco fame was seated across from us too. And for some reason, I said to Gloria, it's always been my disco dream to do poppers while you sing I Will Survive. <laughs> and then I said, Jenny, take off your top and dance. And? And you took off your top. I did poppers and Gloria Gaynor burst into tears and said, I'm a Christian woman. I'm a good Christian woman. And ran out horrified that we had completely destroyed the dinner party. Yeah. You know, what we think is like entertaining <laughs> and like, you know, just bringing it up a notch is actually offensive to some people. I've learned <laughs> that in my older days, but yes. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, put that on my head. <laughs> you made Gloria Gaynor cry. <laughs> yeah, no, oh my God. I mean, that, that is 
And also the other thing that I remember about that was remember someone had a Walt had a picture in the Louvre somewhere. Yeah. Someone, yes. he, yeah, there was an exhibition yes. and we went in our club kid drag to the Louvre and we were like, Oue le Walt Papier. <laughs> like, you know, new Cher Sean, le club kid pick. <laughs> And we were just like what, asking everyone where wallpaper was in the Louvre. They're like, there's no wallpaper in the Louvre. It's like, what? <laughs> it's like, yeah, that was. Did you ever find it? Because the Louvre is quite big. It's very big, but we did find yeah. it. I feel yeah. I. It, it was like a picture like this small <laughs> in like some little room somewhere. But by God, we did manage to find Walt Papier. <laughs> I love these stories because it's like the club kids were very kind of anarchic and punk in a way. Like, you know, it seems that the rest of the scene before club kids was very stratified and people knew their place and people did things. And But you had to kind of behave yourself. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yes, we did not do that. Well, yeah, I think the era before us, yeah, we were, we were, we were very naughty, I think, in a lot of ways, and just kind of, you know, rats, rousers, and yeah, we did. What you call it? rats? Brats. We were brats. Yeah, brats. Yeah, brilliant brats. Sort of performance art brats, situationist brats. There we go. Put a little gloss on that. Yes. <laughs> um, then you were voted Queen of Manhattan. Remember? Do you remember that? I do remember that because there is footage and photos. So that is very <laughs> helpful for me. That never go away, might I add. Yes. <laughs> um, and I remember because I had loaned you the wig, I think, and the dress because you didn't want to do it. And you were at my house on like day three of a oh, binge. Yeah. yeah. And we got you dressed up in my awful, awful outfits. I'm so sorry. Well, no, it was it was basically like a, a pink 80s prom dress, basically with the same sleeves. I mean, this is actually a pretty good <laughs> replica of it. And then this hide like this hideous, almost Lady Bunny-esque wig, um, <laughs> pretty much. And then uh, do you remember that Fava used to have those like um they used to have shoes out on the street. They would have racks with like the really hideous ones because no one wanted them. So I just remember walking by Fave and just collecting a, a white pair of heels. So I had, you know, I don't know if it, it was like easy spirits. So you were sort of an 80s, 80s prom. It was 80s prom. Uh, uh, that was the look I was going for. And, and then, of course, I tore the wig off and, you know. And bald and ripped the dress off as well, didn't you? Were you? I don't remember that, James. I I don't think that happened. But you know. Okay, <laughs> we'll move along. We'll move along. Um, I think I do remember. No, we're not going to move along. I seem to remember you, Jenny, storming down the runway yes, and ripping yes. your wig off. That's the image in my mind. It's all captured on video. I absolutely stormed down the runway after tearing it off after looking like, I mean, I, I looked like I could have been some farm pageant in Oklahoma or something. Like I was their queen. And then you turned into Sheol. And then I turned into a monster. And then I turned into a completely, completely new one. Um, you've always been friends with Jeremy Scott though, right? You've, yeah. he's, you've been amused to him and you've been yeah. in his shows. And when did you guys meet? We met when he was at Pratt, um, and I guess I would might have been nineteen or twenty, um, maybe yeah twenty. And he um, created these extraordinary collections. I remember he did the Chernobyl collection, and I walked in his show. And he and I, st sadly, uh, he made me so many beautiful pieces, and, and unfortunately, I've lost some of them along the way. But um, yeah, you know, when he had his, I think, 20th anniversary of his line, um, he did write this kind of homage to our friendship and that I was his first muse. So I'm not lying, I swear. Um, so, you know, that was really lovely. And and he's he's been wonderfully supportive of my work at the Girls Club. And, um, and you know, I just really loved him. And he was so serious about his craft. And he, you know, unlike me at the time, he was 
so focused on mm. on creating and on learning and uh, was not messing around with anything else. He had no time to, he wanted to be out and to have the experience, but, um, you know, he he had really lofty goals and he obviously achieved them, so... Yeah, yeah, I, your your friendship is very special. I I love watching. I've seen you two together on uh, Instagram and and things like that. Let's um, let's talk a little bit about the Mavis Freeze days. You know, it's really funny. I actually have my memories. Uh, you know, are really special. Like when I think of when I was at Mavis and Freeze's house or James, your apartment, like it's very strange. You would think I would have lost most of those memories. The memories in clubs, those were experiences. I can recount some of those, but the times that we were just together, you know, but yes, we can go into Mavis and Freeze. Sorry. I did not no. reflect. I just wanted to say. No, 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 no. But you're absolutely right. Because I, if I could see Mavis now, if I could talk to her and I know she would never speak to me ever, ever again, I would say, I'm sorry for the way I portrayed you in my book. I'm sorry uh, that that happened because you're absolutely right. Those nights that we spent that turned into days, that turned into nights, that turned into days again, and we would just be on her couch in her apartment, just the three of us, or like, you know, Freeze would be there or Bella or someone. But those are such magical. I mean, like the conversations we had, it's, I really loved all of that. And it turned so bad. But some of, so many of those memories are so wonderful. And we got to thank Mavis and Freeze for providing the space and the drugs that did it. <laughs> so yeah. What sort of conversations do you have? I think Freeze is quite a mysterious figure. But Freeze was actually at this time he was a a little teddy bear. He was he was. They were both so excited to be at the center of the club kids, and they were the club kid drug dealers, and they would gather everybody and come home to these after after hours parties, and that would go on for days and days and days. And they loved playing host, and they loved create making everybody comfortable, and it was. It was a really sort of, I mean, as decadent as it was in some, whatever, I really, like you, I cherish those times with you, you know? Yeah. And um, he was always really incredibly, um, I was going to say generous. That's not what I mean to say. He was very caring and loving and, and um, you know, uh, removing what happened later, because I have to kind of compartmentalize the people that I knew and people that, yeah. you know, just had experiences yeah. with. Um, I, I truly and, and deeply actually really loved him. And we spent a lot of time together at that 11th street apartment, yeah. um, a lot of time. And so, you know, I value that person that I knew intimately See, now. Yeah, go ahead. When they moved in together, when Freeze and Mavis moved in together, on the 11th street apartment. That was when I was sort of on the outs. I um, had owed a lot of money. I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars by that point. And I remember, do you remember when Mavis threw the brick through my window? You guys were on one of your limos. Remember you would get the limo and drive around for like 10 hours. Yeah. And she stopped and threw a brick through my window. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So I was persona non grata mostly at um at 11th Street. So, but it was the times before that, you know, that and I everything that happened it was, you know, my fault and I don't, you know, shy away from any of that, but I do feel bad that everything went to shit and it was because Mavis was very ambitious at that time. You know, I also want to apologize to you Jenny for the way I portrayed you in the book as well. I was so angry when I left New York at the fact that the scene was destroyed and my world was gone. And I didn't remember this until just a couple of weeks ago that you and I had had a falling out. Um, I, and I completely forgot about it, but I saw a letter from you that you had written me afterwards. And, um, if you remember, I think it was on the stoop and you were walking past with Valentine 
and words were said and we got it got heated. And um, in your letter, you said that your mother reminded you that we had gotten into an argument when you were at NYU. And she said, it's just this way you two have and it's, you're, you're going to be fine. But I just I feel like maybe I was still angry or something with you when, when I wrote the book. I don't know. I've always felt bad about it, that the, the eating the can of beans. Jenny, I mean, let me let me I just do you think James should apologize? Number one. And I'm curious to know what you thought about his book, because I, I'd love to hear from you on this. So this is going to be the big the, the, the big reveal. I have not read the book and I have not seen the movie. I knew, you know, my no friend of mine ever reads the book. But I will, I, I will say something. I had a neighbor when I lived on 7th Street that um, really loved me. He was a writer for New York Magazine. He got a pre-copy or whatever. Pre, um, and he was slight, he was, he really cared for me deeply. And so he, he like highlighted whatever I was in. I was like, I don't even want to see, I, I just, um, and I, I, I just, uh, I never read it. I completely understand that for, for two reasons, because number one, it's, it's a raw wound still to this yeah. day for you, but also well, if a friend is in a TV show, so you don't watch cause you're afraid that like, you don't want to think, you know, if they do bad, you don't want to, you're in an awkward position. I completely understand. But I will, I will say James, what, what the, the, the bits that I did read, I, I didn't find them offensive to me at, at all. I mean, I think you you called me like the modern day Edie Sedgwick. What, what could, well, I guess what could be a better or maybe worse? <laughs> I was uh-huh. like, you know, I mean, so I, I took no offense to what you wrote and you were writing your truth. And you were, I mean, we had really wild, crazy experiences. And yes, there actually was a can of beans and I was trying to get into it with a knife because there was no can opener. So there was no lie there. I mean, I, so I, <laughs> I, you know, that I, yeah, no, I never had any issue with the book I never read. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about like towards that, that period of time you guys were talking about, like, was there like some revelation of like all of this scene has gone too far? Was there a moment for you? Yeah. I mean, I just, as we were all kind of struggling with our personal demons and the party just did not feel like a party anymore. It wasn't celebratory. It wasn't joyful. It was just kind of, dark and and so I, I think as I kind of pulled away I didn't really I wasn't going to nightclubs really that you know I just kind of started to you know move away from it um and then I I got a little bit more into like the punk scene and just I I I just didn't find it interesting anymore um oh well wait was this when you were dating um uh rancid Tim Armstrong yeah, there was a moment there, but he was in L.A. So, you know, but yes, that that was and I actually met him at Limelight. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So handsome, handsome lead man of Branson. Gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous, gorgeous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonderful guy. Yeah, he was so he was just he was probably one of the most innocent humans I've ever met in my life. Oh, that's so cute to know. That's very sweet. Yeah, very, very, very sweet. Um, So so, you know, it just it it didn't it didn't have the same feeling. And I just, I, I recognize like I need such a dramatic shift in my life if I'm going to continue to have a life and I need to get out of this self-obsessed kind of world that just is like, you know, we're all flailing in and like, look at me, look at me. It just became kind of gross. And that's not how it started, but I really recognize that I need something very dramatic to change in my life. And, and part of that was, was getting off the drugs. Of course. Which, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And because things, things had sort of spiraled for you mm-hmm. and you thankfully were able to recognize that and, and get out. Yeah. Yeah. You seem to have such clarity and um, I, with that, I associate such so strong, such a strong will. So it's like, it doesn't sound like it was a, I'm sure it was incredibly hard, but like, was it hard to do or was it just like, 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a journey for everyone and everyone has their own way of how they, how they, you know, do recovery. And, and there's so many of us who really who made it through. I mean, when I think about little Kenny, who is also just one of the most important people to me and is, um, you know, he's, he's like a beacon of light and hope for so many addicts and, and, you know, he mentors and he sponsors and just how he's kind of completely changed his life. And, um, and how he helps people. And so, yeah, I think, you know, for the ones of us that are still standing, I mean, where, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to just see kind of what we've made with our lives and, and how that moment in time and what we experienced was, uh, you know, unlike anything else. And it was so magical. And I'm sure when you talk to the people from the seventies or the eighties or whatever, everyone says that I, I would imagine. So I don't want to act like we were better or there was any, you know, anything like that, but for us and this kind of family, um, that ha has definitely affected the tra trajectory of our lives. Some with like really, you know, devastating consequences. And for the rest of us, like, it made us these shiny humans that we are. And, um, and so I'm just so grateful for the, for the extraordinary people that I met during that time who remain lifelong friends and um, they mean the world to me, including you, James. I love you so much. Thank you. I know. I, I love our friendship. I love that we've managed to through thick and thin, sick and sin. We have yeah. gotten through it all. Um, after uh, recovery, and I guess it was in the like twenty five years ago is when you made the the pivot from it girl to the girls club. Yeah. Um, tell me how you did that and what the club was like when it first started and how you came to it. So my I had a professor, um, Dr. Lynn Pentecost, who uh, at, at NYU. I took her classes. It was like urban schools in crisis, and just I. I uh, every one of her classes I had to take, they were just um, really extraordinary and, and fascinating. And um, we deeply connected. And I had been doing volunteer work in, in the neighborhood and just, you know, didn't have a great experience. And she said, you know, I'm starting a girls club with a group of women. Would you like to join us? And um, at that point, there were three full service boys clubs and, you know, no programs just specifically for girls. And I, and I just thought, my God, I really like need some purpose and some meaning in my life. Anything you're doing, I want to do. And so, I mean, we pretty much like just started out of a shopping cart and, you know, we've been in over two dozen locations through the years. I mean, at one point we lost a space. I was like running a workshop in a Starbucks. We were in a basement every time it would rain, you know, I would flood. So it was just kind of, you know, bopping around the neighborhood and, you know, we're pushing our shopping cart around saying one day, we're going to build a girls club and everyone would look at us and say, wow, these women are completely, but bananas, they're crazy. Who would think you could build a building in the East Village for the community and especially these group of ragtag women? And, you know, here we are. I mean, yeah, this is a 35,000 square foot facilities uh, that there is no other place like in, in the world. Um, I mean, what really sets us apart, we also have a planetarium, but we run 50 plus programs a week in STEM, arts, culinary leadership, civic engagement, um, dance movement, wellness, I, and everything in between the sound studio, media, animation, and just, um, you know, I, I just am so incredibly proud to have been on this journey and that now we're a globally recognized organization. Um, so it's very exciting. So many of the people who come through have been, you know, Hillary Clinton, Michelle Obama, you know, Stacey Abrams, yeah. Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. So many inspiring people have been part of Rosario Dawson is a is a big um supporter of it. She's been with us for almost, you know, eight, 18 years. She's on our board. She is um a very dear friend and she's from this community and um, you know, she's our champion and as you know, she lives her life as an artist and activist. You know, we just um, we're so inspired by her. Um, you, I think you said to me that you were expanding because so many of the girls there's there's you know trans girls and there's trans men and there's non-binary and and suddenly like that that umbrella just needs to get a little bigger. 
Well, it's so interesting because, you know, when we started 25 years ago, when we say, you know, there were three boys club we, clubs, we need a space for girls. And now like a girls club sounds so antiquated. So, you know, when we really talk, we say, you know, girls and gender expansive youth. Um, it's really important to be inclusive and all are welcome here. And also in our new space, um, which is focusing on um, holistic well-being, uh, which is, you know, mental, physical and financial with workforce development um, that will be open to the entire community, uh, all ages and all genders. So it's very exciting. And especially as we come not out of the pandemic, because we're just in a perpetual, it's never ending, um, but just the kind of community um, resilience. And as we, as our community was disproportionately affected, this might not be any of any interest, honestly, this is probably going a little too deep into the weeds about the Girls Club, I don't know. But I think there's also a direct connection, right, between what you were as a club kid and this work that you're doing, because you talked about so eloquently about chosen family. It seems like, I, I think, it seems to me it's not like a left turn. It's like a, an extension. Well, I do have to say whenever, uh, you know, from when I talk to people, I really do say I went from the club to the girls club. I mean, so it's just, and and then, yeah, you, you make a really good point. I mean, this is now, this is my chosen family. I mean, I've dedicated my life to this organization. I get to work alongside some of our alumni uh, girls who've grown up in this organization who are now running it. And it's just, um, it's the greatest gift. I mean, to see it from the inception to where we are now um, after a quarter of a century is is a really um, powerful journey to be on and creating this space uh, for people to connect. Uh, as to Fenton's point, though, I think so many of the lessons you learn as an it girl or in the clubs about dealing with people and working crowds and, you know, just sort of navigating uh, social, you know, things like that, that you you can take with you anywhere. I've I've talked to Lisa about this a lot, where I always say, you know, like you were it, it was training ground for what you're doing now. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, it really kind of set me up for success to be able to, you know, deal with all different types of people, whether it's donors to members, to families, to the greater community um, and everyone in between, you know, our, the corporate donors that we have. So, yeah, I mean, I walk into a space. It's funny because um, I guess not too many, you know, executive directors maybe look like me, but who knows? And I, I, I am, you know, partnered with a really incredible woman named Ebony Simpson and um, and just have the most incredible staff here. Um, but we're sort of um, winding down now. But do you still go out and tell me about the state of Manhattan nightlife now? Where do you, who do you see? Where do you go? And what what is it like? To be honest with you, I haven't been going out much um, because I have young kids and and grandparents, my parents are, you know, helping raise those babies. And so um, I, I haven't been able to totally dip my toes back into the scene as much. Um, plus I have to be asleep by 10, you know, just kidding. Um, but yeah, no, I, I try to get out. I'll go to concerts more, but I'm not, I, I definitely have not done a big club experience um, during the pandemic. Jenny, uh, how old are your kids? They are five and eight. And I have the most extraordinary husband. Um, yeah. And, you know, we just, it, it's very interesting to just think back in like the darkest of days um, to have been able to kind of get to this place um, and feel very content. So yeah, I have two. Randy has twins who are like. Benton, you, you have children? Mine are Elliot is seven today. It's his seventh birthday. And Nolan is 15. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Congratulations to you. You know, your kids come home when they're 15 and they tell you they've met this most amazing person. Okay, he's not called Michael Ehrlich, but imagine, imagine your kids met the Michael you met. What would you tell them? The Michael I met was wonderful. So I would, I think I would... <laughs> The original Michael, um, even if he was 
challenging and problematic in a lot of ways. The relationship that I had with Michael was very special. So I know, and this is way before all of the madness. Um, and he was a wonderful friend to me. And we had an extraordinary connection. Uh, but the later Michael, I would uh, I would not want my child anywhere near that type of person. But but you would be supportive if your child decided to become uh, the the futuristic equivalent of a punk or raver or club kid or hippie or whatever. Well, of course. I mean, you know, my my nightmare would be they'd become a Republican, let's be real. So, you know, um, if, you know, if they want to be, you know, so, um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, all for being creative and, and for kind of, you know, forging your own path and, and finding your place. I mean, that's what we're all doing, especially when you're a teenager, you find, you, you know, you're finding your way and you make a lot of missteps, but um, I, you know, again, my missteps led to this place we are now. Well, what an amazing place. See, I have a theory I want to lay on you and I haven't even tried this out on James St. James yet. I've been thinking about it a lot because I do think the club kids to some extent have been underestimated culturally in terms of what they contributed and what they did. And and the whole Michael Eilig off the rails, freeze, murder story, angel has sort of hijacked the narrative. And really, I think the club kids were kind of like the first version of the metaverse. <laughs> the, you know, it's about being in a, what do you think? It's about being in a world where you have multiple identities. James is dressed as a slice of pizza. That can only exist in the metaverse. <laughs> yeah, I, and, and we apologize to humanity. If we had any part of that, do we get a piece of the pie of that then? Do we call, whatever his name is, Zuckerberg, and say, come on, we were the original. Yeah, I'll get you some Bitcoin. <laughs> Ooh, thank you. You have any NFTs with that? Ooh. Okay, Jenny, well, I think um, that's all we can do. Yeah, it was great talking to you, and so, so great to see you. Love you so much, and thank you for doing this. I gotta go, yeah, I gotta go, but mm, love you, amazing. Like, honestly, what an amazing experience just to talk to you and see you again. Mm, love you, bye.